If you're enjoying the show so far, please consider helping by supporting our show. Although never expected, any support for our show enables us to keep bringing the audiobook club to your ears. Hello and welcome to the Audiobook Club. In this week's episode, I'm thrilled to be joined with the wonderful audiobook narrator and voice artist, Anna Clements. Anna, thank you so much for joining me on the show. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Now, if we may, I'd love to start right, uh, start right at the very beginning. Can you tell us a little about your background and, and how you got started in the world of audio and audiobooks? So I'm I'm Spanish by birth. So my parents, my mother was pregnant with me um, and came over here with my father and my brothers and sisters. And I was born in London. So I grew up in a biling- bilingual household. And it um, what it did for me is that it made me very aware of sounds, of language, of words, of the things people use, phrases that do and don't work in one language or the other. And um, I mean, curiously, Children from the same family don't necessarily come out with the same traits, do they? But what it what <laughs> no. it did do for me was um, create this sort of fascination with accents, the way people speak, why they say what they say, the words they use. Um, and it made me very aware, I guess, of sound and of words. Um, I wanted to get into the creative arts and... My parents thought otherwise, so I studied <laughs> economics, went off to university, uh, went into finance... Um, <clears throat> met my now ex-husband, moved to the country, had two children and created a life of um, ordinariness, you know, in, in a good way. Um, I, I After the kids were born, I, I stopped working in an office for a while and started teaching Spanish. So I took a, a teaching qualification um, and I taught Spanish at the community college, which meant I could work in the evenings and then be there to take them to school and stuff. And then as they got older, I got back into uh, accounts and finance and office work and um, you know, uh, mm. computer um, organizing systems within companies and that sort of thing. Um, and I hit midlife and sort of realized that I hadn't quite realized my dreams, you know, my my um, awareness of the fact that I'd left behind singing and music, uh, all those things was quite upsetting. So yeah. I started taking uh, piano lessons initially, and I took music theory exams and did all this kind of stuff and then realized it was actually singing I was after. So I moved across into classical singing, did that for five years. Um, and through that, got into musical theatre, uh, first sort of local um, Amdram stuff and then a couple of professional shows that came through sort of five, six years in uh, that came through town and were looking for, for local people to employ sort of for the couple of weeks they were there um, and suddenly realised I could get paid for this. Uh, but I lived in the countryside in North Devon uh, where there isn't much scope for, um, you know, the the, the, yeah. the lights and the stage, as it were. And uh, my kids weren't yet at an age where I could, I felt I could just up sticks and disappear for a couple of weeks to London or whatever. So I, I bought a microphone, started messing around at home. And it was kind of a, again, I'm, I'm fascinated by research. So I spent a lot of time sort of studying the sound, how recording works, got into kind of acoustics and the difference between, you know, soundproofing and uh, yeah. sound uh, treatment. Um, did a couple of online courses through Berkeley College of Music. Um, met a guy who, uh, Gary Turtzer, who does a, a masterclass, a one day oh come along and find out about the industry. And I knew nothing. I knew nothing at all. So I, I went and um, that was my very first demo, my very first experience of uh, kind of the, the industry. 
Um, I then, through him, discovered ACX, put up a profile, discovered the pay to plays, you know, voice one, two, three. This is back uh, seven or eight years ago. And um, found a man called Guy Michaels, who runs voiceover Kickstart. And he then used to do a six week free introduction to voiceover, which, again, gives you an overview of all the different uh, sections within the industry to allow you to see whether, you know, your voice is fit for radio or for audiobooks or uh, video games or animation or promos. You know, there's so much that as an outsider, people are unaware of that it um, I needed that kind of grounding to go, oh, OK, I'm not the bank holiday sale girl. I'm, <laughs> you know, the and so I got into long form narration. I got into corporate uh, videos, e-learning, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But the audiobooks just were always calling me. And once I realized that I didn't have to just do royalty share, that people would actually pay me to do this stuff, um, it, it became a whole nother uh, sort of set of sort of things to research and investigate. And, and the fascination sort of has never has never waned, I guess. Yeah. So that's the uh, that's the route in. <laughs> that's an incredibly interesting route. There's lots of questions I want to ask um, based on that. Now, of course, you you narrate in both English and Spanish. It's very impressive. Um, have you always been a fan of language? Were you a young, avid reader? Where did this passion for storytelling come from? I, I think, uh, sadly, my family wasn't a particularly book-ridden family. Mm. You know, a lot of narrators say, you know, I loved books from an early age. Yeah. There weren't books at home. We weren't um, exposed to that kind of thing. Mm. I loved the library. The library was my favourite place. Um, and I used to ride my bike up there on a Saturday morning and just just the feel of the library and the smell of books. But it wasn't <laughs> encouraged. You know, it wasn't something yeah. that we did as a family. Um, so I felt kind of odd in that respect. But that sense of... Um, language nevertheless was always there. And I think the Spanish side of me, um, Mm. that idea of storytelling, of gathering for food and telling stories after meals. And there was always what we call sobremesa, which is over the table. You know, you you eat and then you sit and you drink coffee and your granddad tells a story about whatever. And people always have stories to tell. They're very good storytellers, Spanish people. And I think it's, it's that that kind of led to this inclusion then into literature and yeah. pages that I could then interpret and pass on. Yeah. That's has um has moving into more performance but you know a performance based career but is it has it been a kind of revelation to you? I read that um you said that narrating audiobooks brought you back to yourself uh, and helped find a space to contribute and I wondered if you'd be able to just sort of expand on what you meant by that. There's there's a real sense of um, connection for me with audiobooks. Um, it's about, I guess it is the storytelling part. It's the mm-hmm. connection with the listener that you never really get to meet. But the idea that somebody wants to hear this story absolutely thrills me. Mm-hmm. And so what audiobooks has allowed me to do is perform without having to be on a stage in the West End. You know, it yeah. is that that wonderful feeling of being able to interpret every character or every nuance of a book. And even in nonfiction, that passion that authors have for that particular topic, I find that fascinating. You know, the prep behind that, yeah. watching them on YouTube giving talks about the book they've written and seeing the excitement that they have, that they then share, is then for me to adopt and then share on on my on their behalf as it were so yeah it's it's wonderful I, I really enjoy it 
Yeah, it can be incredibly addictive, can't it, once you get through that project. And <laughs> as you say, and you, and you write a lot of nonfiction as well. Do you find that um, kind of addictiveness, as it say, and I, I use that word positively, um, do you find that with, with the amount of knowledge that you can pick up and you can be, as they say, great at a cocktail party from, Absolutely. <laughs> from, from this career? I'm a real, I'm a real avid fan of uh, tidbits of information, you know, that idea yeah. of sort of knowing lots about everything or, or but nothing specifically, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. fascinated by facts. You know, I tend to hold sort of little um, sound bites and, and little phrases in my head that fascinate me or, or um, require me to then what I'm terrible at when I'm prepping books is going down that rabbit hole of the the internet. You know, you start <laughs> off searching for the author and then you discover that as a child, the author lived in Canada, but was actually from Hungary. And next thing you know, you're discovering what it sounds like to speak Canadian with a Hungarian accent or, you know, it's it, which has nothing to do with the book. Yeah. Um, but I, I love that. I do love that sort of research side of things. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's definitely one of the joys of... Uh... Uh, of the job, I would say. When narrating an audiobook, what, what features in a project most excite you? What turns a book you're narrating into a favourite? Do you, do you look for characters? Do you look for story, a mixture? Well, what is it? Do you know, I, I don't actually know. There's a, there's a connection, again. Uh, usually it's a well-written book. You know, the mm. characters are fully formed. The author has actually put on the page all the thoughts they have. Mm. They haven't uh, imagined things but then left them out because it didn't matter in the story. So I've been able to absorb all the information they had about those characters and actually really live it. Um, yeah. And I think it's the living it that I enjoy. So uh, I did a book um, written by Rena Rossner called uh, Sisters of the Winter Wood, which I didn't think would be the kind of book that I would want to interpret. And yet um, it's a, a fantasy Jewish folklore book uh, about two sisters. Yeah. But it's so beautifully written. It was absolutely fascinating. And it's those kinds of books that you come to the end of and you don't want to move on. You know, like when you yeah. read a book, you want to live with those characters some more and you want to be in their world. Um, I think that's what attracts me. And unfortunately, you don't know that until after you've started the project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of those things where, I, I mean, on my own experiences, I, I've um, you know had the pleasure of narrating books that I wouldn't necessarily pick up in my free time. And I've come away thinking, do you know what? That's the best book, professional and or personal, that I've read this year. And I think that's just another, you know, another aspect to it where, you know, we're really lucky being exposed to so many different types of varied material. And you can come away with thinking, do you know what? That was, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Very much so. I think at the yeah. beginning of my career, I was surprised I would be reached out to by authors who would say, I've heard your demos and I think you'd be really good to read my book. And then I would receive their book and I'd go, Why? <laughs> Why did, what, what did you hear in my voice that you thought this would, you know, and then even with producers, when you get cast, you know, you mm -hmm. wonder what it was they heard or what it was they were looking for. Mm -hmm. um, I'm often cast for some reason as the outsider, you know, that that mm -hmm. voice that mm -hmm. says we're looking for a general American man. But how about this British woman? And every so often they go, hey, that works, um, <laughs> which I find fascinating. You know, it, often mm -hmm. people don't know what they like until they hear it. Yeah. which I find a lot more in the corporate world. I'll often be online with people and they'll say, if you could just give us a read and we'll give you an idea of what we're looking for. And I'm like, that's kind of backwards, but sure, we'll do. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's it's that kind of thing that, and, and I know I appreciate it because when you go shopping for things, for example, for the house or whatever, and you need a particular thing in a particular space, but, and you think you want something really specific. You know, I went out mm. shopping looking for, um, a, a rectangular folding table for my kitchen. I wanted it to fold against the wall so it would be smaller when nobody was here and then I could get it out. 
I currently have an oval an oval unfold, non-folding table in my kitchen because I fell in love with it. You know, I went into the shop and, and it was perfect and it is perfect, but it isn't what I thought I wanted. So yeah. I often think of that when authors are looking to cast their books, they go out thinking they want a particular thing and then they hear yeah. something and they go, oh, actually, that's it. Because yeah. that falling in love, that, that matchmaking, that's what it's about. Oh, 100%. I think that's lovely as well. I think you find that in a lot of creative pursuits. And I think it's, it's vital in creative pursuits. That you have to keep that you kind of, even if it's subconscious, you have to keep an open mind. Um, and I think it must be really rewarding as well as a performer to be, you know, to know that you are so different, you know, sometimes the opposite of, of what they think they want. And then you give a performance that they think, hang on a second, no, I'm going to go against everything that I originally thought. And I need to work with this person that must be pretty rewarding as a performer it's lovely it's also um initially it's a little bit uh, daunting yeah you know the sure, the yeah. the imposition of that kind of idea of talent you know i think yeah. particularly as a as a midlife changer i was kind of surprised or and thrilled that anybody wanted me to read anything for money <laughs> you know i was just really wow you know um yeah. And I think at the beginning, I was kind of, why did you think I'd be able to do all these accents? And then at the end of the book, I'm like, I can do all these accents. <laughs> Suddenly yeah. your resume grows and your experience grows. Every book kind of teaches you something. And I think the good ones are the ones that stretch you that little bit, that make you have to go to your accent coach and go, they're asking for a Southern Ireland, but I keep on going into Northern Ireland, you know, or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and and having to work at something to then make that that great project is is mm. a lovely feeling, particularly yeah. afterwards. There's a I can't remember who the narrator was, uh, who said, "I love narrating books after they're finished," which is a great way of of, of putting it because the project when it's ended is always yeah. brilliant. You know, it's a yeah. lovely um, project to have undertaken. But sometimes during it, you're you're so kind of filled with self doubt and these worries and this wanting to do a really good job that you sometimes forget to enjoy it. And I think the enjoying it is is super important. Yeah, I couldn't relate more. Um, this brings me on to, I read a blog post of yours back from March uh, about freelancing and an advice for freelancers. Uh, and you spoke about three areas to be aware of. There were boundaries, uh, communication and respect. Um, now, all three I found brilliant, but the, the topic of respect, about having to take yourself seriously and how that can be hard in creative pursuits, it really resonated with me. Would you be able to expand on this topic a little bit and, and perhaps your experiences of how to handle self-doubt or doubt from those around you, etc. There's there's two two main things. So um, the respect one is really about acknowledging how important this pursuit is to you. So when I mm -hmm. began, um, I had a, a partner who said he was supportive, but then would query why I had to spend so much doing time doing this thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would, uh, you know, sort the house out, make some food, send the children off to school and then sit down to do it. And he would inquire whether it was really necessary at this time, despite mm -hmm. the fact that he was very supportive in words. Um, and I think my lack of respect for myself didn't make me create good enough boundaries that said between these hours, this is what I want to commit to. This is what I'd like to focus on. And because I wasn't able to do that, I ended up leaving him so I could narrate audiobooks, which sounds a little extreme. Um, but it's it's about that sense of expecting other people to respect you for what you do when you don't necessarily respect yourself. And mm -hmm. it's that self-doubt, that inner critic that we carry with us all the time that really upsets me. Um, mm -hmm. my, my life goal is actually to... Um, I've become so aware that confidence changes our voice so much. 
a sense of self and awareness of self affects how we voice things. And so I'm desperate to kind of remove self-doubt from anyone and everyone because it's of very little use to us in the creative pursuits. Mm -hmm. You know, it stops us jumping off a cliff without a parachute, but it it shouldn't stop us from attempting a Scottish accent or yeah. recognising the places we do have really good talent. Um, one, of, one of my favourite phrase, phrases is that we are all underwhelmed by our own abilities. And I think it's a, um, a recognition of that, an awareness of what we actually offer, allows us to become sufficiently confident in ourselves to actually sell ourselves to the authors and producers who need to cast books and want to create audiobooks. So the whole process is part and parcel of of the of the business we're in yeah I think that's so I think that's such an important topic I, th- I love that quote by the way I think that's brilliant <laughs> this topic leads itself quite well I think to a discussion I had a few episodes back with RJ Bailey specifically about looking after one's mental health while growing yourself as a business or a brand you know putting yourself out there um, getting rejected from jobs frequently is of course all part of the job um, have you any advice on how to step away Because it can be quite hard to switch off, can't it? Very much so. I'm particularly this year, my my word for this year was reframe. I Mm. I was suddenly aware that I was being very singularly, singular minded, that's a word, Mm -hmm. uh, about how I thought I was perceived within the industry. And every so often I have to stop and reframe. You know, you send an email off to a producer and you say, uh, I'm a British voiceover and I I like uh, to narrate historical fiction and uh, non-fiction. And if there's anything I can help you with at all and and crickets, you know, you get nothing. Um, And I used to think, well, they obviously hate me and they're never going to employ me. And there would be this ongoing kind of every three months I would get myself to reapply and re, you know, send out Mm -hmm. and nothing. And the reframing allowed me to acknowledge and, and the experience, in fairness, um, to acknowledge that the question I love is, what else could be true? Mm. And when you ask what else could be true, suddenly um, maybe they don't re- reply to emails. Maybe my emails all go to spam because of the filter I've got on my system. Maybe um, they only reach out when they've actually got a book that fits me. Mm. Maybe they already have 17 other British female voiceovers on their on their books and they aren't interested um, and, and don't, you know, don't have the time to reach out and say, stop writing to us because really we're never going to employ you. But anything could be true. And so doing more research, listening to people on podcasts, listening to interviews, stuff that you do like this, where you can actually go and listen to how people react and interact um, mm. makes you acknowledge and realize that it's not always about you. In fact, it's very rarely about you. It's more often than not about how much time they have, how busy they are, what books they actually have on their desk at the time. Uh, there are so many other things going on. And we spend a lot of our time um, just being very insular and very uh, internal about how we feel when actually all we can ever do is offer ourselves up. We offer ourselves to the industry. We say, this is who I am. This is what I offer. Uh, another of my favorite things is the 33%. There's this concept that there are 33% of the industry uh, that love us, 33% of the industry that hate us, and 33% of the industry that meh, couldn't really be bothered. And yeah. apparently we spend 80% of our time trying to convince the people who really aren't that bothered that we're brilliant when there's already 33% of the people who adore us. So why are we not focusing our efforts on the people who already love us and just doing better work for the people who want to hear it? 
yeah. you know it's it, and the same is true in our relationships in our families in our social networks there yeah. are people who you know dislike us and we tend to avoid them but the people who aren't overly bothered we seem to spend a lot of our time worrying about what is it that's not making me sufficiently interesting to them why can't mm-hmm. aren't they you know why aren't they concerned for who i am and the people who love us we kind of take them for granted mm-hmm. and so yeah. it's just really important sometimes to remember that there is a very large group of people who like what we do you know even in re- reviews and things on on uh, amazon and so on mm-hmm. um you'll see I'll, i'll see a review that says um i would listen to anything anna clements narrates and underneath a review that said i had to return this book because i listened to chapter 1 and i couldn't bear her whiny voice <sighs> and when you see when you when you've been here long enough yeah. and you see enough reviews that are so contrasting and that the majority are actually positive but our systems our brains are made to protect us from the bad stuff and so the bad stuff stands out the bad stuff remains with us so that we can protect ourselves from it when actually it shouldn't matter so much we should mm-hmm. be focusing on the good things on the people who want us to produce another book and are waiting for the next book to come out so that they can listen to it and there are those people out there for all of us <laughs> yeah. of course of course i don't know i don't know quite why our brains are hardwired to look at the negatives but you're absolutely right and i think that's a great takeaway just for life in general is to you know it's all about that thing of you know you, there's certain things that you're never going to be able to control so it's you know whether people will, will resonate with what you're doing or you know they just might not be your audience or for for whatever reason and just to as you say always focus on on the things that you know we can contribute to and um and and get something positive back. Um you also host uh, Audiobooks Club and the Wednesday Audiobooks Room on Clubhouse as well as Wednesday Welcome on the Narrator's Cup of Joe. By the way, since we're recording this on the Wednesday, Wednesdays must be incredibly busy for It's you. It's a big day. <laughs> <laughs> how um, how has being hands on with um the audiobook community helped you grow as a narrator and and how important is it for narrators who are new to the industry uh, to reach out and join groups uh, such as these It's huge. I mean my my first 5 or 6 years I felt like there was nobody. It was a bit of a wasteland when I began and uh I I'm aware that there was nowhere for me to go and ask these questions or to share my knowledge or or have people share their knowledge for me. Mm. Um and so I spent a lot of my time researching and luckily for me I love doing that. I love uh investigating and taking notes and checking stuff out and finding out things. Mm. Um and when Clubhouse began for me in January of last year mm. and uh during the pandemic I live alone it was a it was a lonely time sure, and suddenly yeah. there was this community of people that I could turn on and chat with for no you know with no complication no issues no nothing and I couldn't find any other audiobook narrators so I found this group of of VOs who were doing two or three rooms a day and um I would wake up in the morning and the LA VOs were still it was called the night owls um and I'd say good morning to them while I was having my coffee and stuff and we'd chat yeah. and they'd discuss their day and whatever and so I began the audiobooks club in an attempt to find a space where audiobook narrators could come together um just to be able to find other people like me and yeah. what's been really lovely is that it isn't my club it's everybody's club and so what's happened is we have now seven or eight rooms a week run by different people who want to share the information they have um there's an industry chat room on a tuesday on a monday there's a practice your audiobook narration room uh mm-hmm. on a thursday there's a narrator focus for people with ADHD and different you know oh, wow, issues nice. with scheduling and and you know troubles doing that sort of thing yeah. uh, there's two rooms on sundays that are just the one in the afternoon 
here in the UK is a, a technical chat. It's run by a couple of um, producers from Ladbrook Audio in South London uh, who basically talk about microphones and soundproofing and, you know, all the different kind of um, hardware kind of stuff that as well as uh, audiobook narration itself and, and production and so on. So it's become and we've actually got a couple of new rooms opening up um, once a month. There's a promote your indie audiobook. If you've got a book that you've just released and you want to talk about it, you can get in touch and then be on the on the room once a month to talk about the the book and have people perhaps go listen to it hopefully um and then uh somebody else is starting a new room but it's like it's this kind of growing um community of people offering their time to chat about audiobooks because we all love it you know it's it's a real um it is it's a passion project it's a real feeling of kind of uh i want to be able to initially for me it was a space to ask questions and discuss them and and then it became people coming along and asking questions and then and getting answers to their questions hopefully so if anybody had something specific that they wanted to ask it, it's the it's the embarrassing stuff sometimes isn't it like um what's the difference between an rs and an rh mm-hmm. um and actually they're not the same at all you know mm-hmm. it's it's that it's those sorts of things that people sometimes feel they can't say out loud because in theory mm-hmm. they should know so where do you go to ask um, and the Narrator's Cup of Joe, for me, once a month, I do a, a beginner's uh, Zoom uh, where people ask that sort of question. And it's yeah. a, a safe space to do so, you know, which is I'm all, yeah. I'm all about the safe spaces because there's a lot of poking fun and, and ridicule about. So um, it was really sure. important for me to kind of have a space where people can just chat and, and have opinions and, and for us all to have a bit of sort of intellectual humility and understand that people come at things from very different places and from different um, ideologies, don't they? So, yeah. Absolutely, I I couldn't agree more. I think that's uh, I think that's really great. I I think there seems to be this this thing. Maybe I was going to say maybe creative people. I think any you know I think the majority of people all should sort of share this little. I wouldn't say fear is because that might sound a little overpowering, but this just sort of this worry that we're all going to be found out for not really for not doing something right or you know for being a you know a fraud or whatever. And I think that just chatting to people, asking about people's processes and, 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 you know, as you say, asking the, you know, quote unquote, basic questions, um, which may not be that basic at all. But, you know, asking those questions, it just sort of helps you reconnect and realize that we're all in it together and we're all sort of thinking the same thing, more or less. Very much Um, so. And that, like you say, that connection, I think, is really important. I think we forget Mm -hmm. sometimes it's a very um, isolated business, isn't it? You know, you're sat in your box with your computer sending off emails that nobody replies to. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's it's a bit of a <laughs> yeah. a bit of a strange place to be. And I, I'm another of my apologize for always talking in quotes, but another of my favorite quotes at the moment is um, all fear wants is reassurance. Yeah. And I think sometimes we forget just to be nice to ourselves, just yes. to go, you know, a bit of a pat on the back. You finished a book, you got a book, you sent two emails today, you know, whatever the things are, ticking yeah. off your to do list is actually a really um acknowledging the effort you're putting in is really important sometimes. And I think looking back as well and seeing how far you've come, I know I yeah. forgot to do that a lot. Um, and it's it's important to remember, you know, if I'm as far forward in five years' time as I've come in the last five years, I'm going to be outstanding. So <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so important. I had the, um, I had the pleasure of on this last Sunday uh, going on to the Sunday schmooze chat with Neil and Morrison 
Um, as uh, we had the last guest uh, I interviewed for the show actually was Neil Gardner. Oh, lovely! Um, yeah, and he was wonderful. And I'm interviewing Morrison uh, in a few weeks' time as well. It was it was it was just great. So um, I had the opportunity to go onto the Sunday Schmooze and chat a little bit about the show and listen in and things. Because I must admit, I was I'm very embarrassed to admit this as somebody who earns their living in audio. But I wasn't aware of Clubhouse. Or I was I'd heard the name. I didn't really know what it was. Wasn't really that invested in finding out. It seems. And then as soon as I was sort of um, yeah. I was, they told me about the show and I, I, I came on to have a look and I thought, well, I've been missing all of this. It's it's it funny, was... we, we the Wednesday show, um, I, I run it now with a, a lady called Anna Caputo, who mm. uh, very kindly, so when I started in Clubhouse, it really was just me. And so mm. I, I started the audiobooks club and I would open a room and I didn't really understand how it worked, but it was still just me. And yeah. so understanding the algorithm, understanding I had to leave the room open for half an hour before anybody was even notified that a room existed, yeah. all the kind of technicalities to it took several months to put together. And then yeah. people would come and they would want to listen to me. And I'd be like, OK, I can I can chat, you know, I can talk yeah, the hind yeah. legs off a donkey, but um, <laughs> there's only so much people want to hear, you know. So I would do yeah. 10 or 15 minutes and then I would say, if you wouldn't mind coming up to chat with me, maybe you want to ask a question or you could share a story and then we could talk about it. Yeah. And sometimes there was this, this deathly silence because people were kind of curious about it too. They were kind of aware that it was this space, but they weren't sure what it really meant. And so um, it, it for me, it became almost like a radio show. You know, every Wednesday at a particular time, I was going to be there regardless. And once people started knowing that they could count on me to turn up, they mm -hmm. started turning up. And and now I will say it's just me up here or, you know, and then, like I said, Anna Caputo joined me and she now brings in a guest once a month. So once Lovely. a month we get to chat for an hour with a producer from one of the production houses or, or whatever. Um, and it's, again, a way of sort of sharing the other side with narrators yeah. who we tend to hold the producers in some kind of... Um, we're in awe of them sometimes and sort of afraid to reach out because yeah. their job isn't like ours. And actually, they're just people, too. You know, they have this long list of books they need to get cast and yeah. they just want a good job done. Um, so I think making people realize how normal they are was mm. quite important to me, too. So it's a lovely space to be able to sort of share all that information and all that knowledge that's just hanging around, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's so important as well, because as you say, you know, it can be, you know, if you're if, if you're narrating full time or at least a lot of the time, it can be incredibly isolating. Um, you know, for myself, I work from home. My partner's a teacher, so she's out all the time. Um, you know, being busy and, and, and busy, busy speaking to people and I'm busy speaking to myself. So it's, uh, yeah, it was a real, um, it was a real privilege to go and, and, and chat with that community and, and feel like, you know, I mean, you may be strangers at the start, but you don't feel like strangers for very long. It's, it's a, a very it's a lovely it's, it's a lovely welcoming space and I think because it's audio which is actually what we do yeah. there's no need to get dressed there's no need to brush your hair you know your <laughs> voice is the only thing you're using um and and the ability to join in or not a lot of people mm -hmm. come along and I know they're always going to be in the audience and I will sometimes message them and say do you have a question or would you like to come up and chat and they'll say yeah. I'm out walking my dog or I'm I'm dry you know I I drive at that I'm driving at that time but it's lovely yeah. to listen to you so there's there's kind of space for Everybody, you know, whether mm -hmm. you want to participate yeah. or just listen or find stuff out or send yeah. in a question. They've got a chat box now uh, within the Clubhouse app so people can write questions and then we can answer them verbally. Um, yeah. So it's it's yeah, it's I really enjoy it. It's lovely. Yeah. 
I think so. And I think especially if, if you listen, if you can listen to it while, you know, commuting or doing the housework or something, it can be, you know, it can be a really great way of passing the time, you know, just as just as audiobooks would be, I guess. It's yes. uh, it's really lovely. Um, as a person, would you say that you are driven by contributing to a, a bigger entity? Does being a part of and helping, you know, the wider voice actor, you know, the audiobook narrator community bring you more joy than being saying like a lone wolf tackling things solo? I think very much so. Um, I think mm. I have had uh, over the last sort of 20 years issues with my mental health and mm. I have found that reaching out to help other people made me forget my worries for a little while. And that's how it started, that kind of idea of of reaching out, of sharing stuff, of communicating and connecting with people um, is super important. I think it, it is very important. And I'm I'm not um, I'm, I'm a private person, bizarrely. And yeah. yet uh, I'm really happy to um, connect people. I love the concept of calling networking, making friends. You know, and ultimately I have met yeah. very in person. I've met very few of the people that I now call friends. And it's mostly because week in, week out, they pop up. I've, you know, discovered that their children have graduated, that they're, mm. they've got a new puppy, that they, you know, all the things that are going on in people's lives just by spending a few minutes a week with them um, mm. make you feel that there's people out there that you could reach out to if you needed to, which ultimately mm. is all it's about. You know, it's about not feeling alone. Um, yeah. And so, yes, I think I think helping the, the wider community helps us all. You know, it, it helps us as individuals, but it helps everybody, doesn't it? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think it's as you say, it, it does benefit a lot of people in every area, you know, professionally, because you get to ask advice and things, but also personally, because you've got someone who knows, you know, you may find somebody who knows exactly what you're going through. Who knows the you know who knows the exact process of the steps that you have to go through to get work to keep consistent work to grow and all those things, and it's just lovely chatting to somebody who 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 knows the you know the details of that. Um, you've worked with top studios, Harper Audio, Dreamscape, Audible, the list goes on. And for everything that you do for the community and you know everything else that you've got going on, could you? tell us a little bit about how you structure your day are you very rigid when it comes to time management when dealing with so many different projects could you tell us a little bit about how you how what is what's a typical day like we, we talk a lot on clubhouse about scheduling because it's so different for so many people and i think mm -hmm. i i realized and acknowledged that although when i go into studios here in london um, the day is sort of a 9.30 to 5.30. There's a break mm -hmm. every hour and a half. There's an hour break for lunch. But pretty much you're narrating all day. And within three days, you've finished a book. But of course, you've got a director and an engineer and people pressing buttons for you. And all you're doing is expressing. Uh, so it's it's a wonderful experience. It doesn't happen as often as I'd like. So mostly yeah. I'm just at home. And the trouble with being at home is that I'm very easily distracted. So, um, you know, the washing machine might need to be on, but then I have to wait an hour and 40 minutes for it to finish. Otherwise, I can't record. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and things people talk about, you know, like uh, having the house needs to be warm enough so I can turn the heating off so that it doesn't, you know, that low rumble yeah. doesn't occur in my booth. Um, so there's a lot of kind of um, things required to be able to just start. And that's become my nemesis almost you know sometimes if I come down in the morning and have breakfast and realize I've forgotten to put the heating on then I decide it might be too cold if I now go in and don't so then I have to wait another hour. and I I used to go through this entire process of kind of putting things off you know putting off yeah. um, whether it was sending an email or sitting down to record and so I uh, Andy Arndt does some fabulous talks on on scheduling and time management but it it made me 
research it, which I'm I'm great at procrastinating by researching stuff. Um, so I researched why I was procrastinating, and yeah. I uh, I discovered that actually if I set particular times for particular things. I could I could organize my day better. So basically, mm. I get up about seven seven thirty. I have breakfast. I water the plants. I go for a walk around the block. I do morning things. Mm. Um, and by nine o'clock, I'm usually sat down in front of the computer. But it's admin stuff. I'm emailing people, replying to people, um, mm. investigating stuff, finishing off a course I might be taking. I do a lot of kind of. Um, independent education as it were where yeah. you buy the course and then you do the the modules yeah. as you please as it were so that's one of my favorite things um so my mornings are usually that they're usually sort of catching up with mm -hmm. the world and then from two till six i turn off my phone so i narrate four hours i sit in my booth for four hours every day which isn't as much as a lot of people but mm -hmm. uh, i'm lucky that my finances are such that i i narrate probably one maybe two books a, a month mm -hmm. um and I do. I still do a lot of corporate work, so that enables me to live the life I I I want to live, as it were. Yeah. Um. And so, if I get a book in that might have a tight deadline, I can narrate from nine to twelve, and then two to six. Um. If I needed to, the space is there for it. Um. But I tend to organize myself such that I I I tell people that I narrate a finished hour a day, five days mm. a week. So that's that's all I offer, officially. Mm. Uh, if I then choose to do more than that or want to produce an eight-hour book in one week, I can. Um, but it, I found personally that I don't deal well with pressure. I don't deal well with um, feeling that I can't do, I can't undertake or I can't deliver what I've promised to undertake. I like to yes. under-promise and over-deliver. Yes, yes, So. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's it's but it's a really personal thing. You know, I know a lot of people mm -hmm. who have full time jobs who get up at five in the morning to narrate for two hours and then come home and narrate between eight and ten at night. And that's mm -hmm. their their way of kind of converting across to becoming an audiobook narrator. So I think there is so much to be taken into consideration with regards to your life, your mm -hmm. the structure of your life, who else lives in your house, how much noise there is outside your house. Yeah. Um, all of those things have to be taken and what sort of a person you are, you know, what yeah. time of day is your is your creative time, for want of a better word, because we're expected to be these kind of permanently inspired people all the time, aren't we? And sometimes it's hard, you know, yeah, it's, it's hard work what we do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Again, I think that's that's something that maybe isn't um, talked about enough. I think definitely because there is this sort of hustle culture out there. Where it's like you, you know, fine if you if you've got a full time job, that's no excuse. You know, if you've got kids, that's no excuse. Get up at four o'clock in the morning and right, and all these sort of things, which can be, I think, a little harmful. Um, I'm very much, I'm very much like, I very much like to be comfortable when being creative. I don't like the pressure. You know, I, I find myself being very sort of restrictive. Um, you know, in in the ideas and things that I can produce when I feel like I'm under pressure. Um, you know, I very much like to, as you as you say, set up give yourself a lot more time than than perhaps needed to make sure that you're doing the best um and also that's just that's good i guess a good habit to get into just in case anything goes wrong um as well but yeah i think that's that should be a thing um that's sort of spoken about a little bit more is is that you have to create that schedule that matches with your personality it has to be individual there's so many different ways to do this you know yes very uh, much so absolutely absolutely yeah just before we run out of time, this has gone so quickly. I can't believe we've been speaking to, uh, for 40 minutes already. Um, have you any projects coming up in the future that you're excited about that you can talk about? Um, 
I, d- I don't know if I can talk about them. I, I'm really <laughs> excited. I can talk about one that's about to come out because okay, uh, cool. it's they've they've put it up as a as a pre order. So it's it's a book called The Speed of Light, and it's mm-hmm. a book where I played. Uh, um, the the voice is accented English, so she speaks English with a Spanish accent. And I'm being employed now a lot more to do that. So in corporate audio, I'm, I, that's a really big deal. That's yeah. very much my market is that English with a Spanish accent, mostly yeah. because, as you can hear, I have a British accent, but uh, I speak Spanish fluently. And so I can put on an accent like my father's, which he came to England when he was 29, having never spoken English. So he has a very thick, very heavy Spanish accent. Or like my mother's, who actually came over here when she was seven and then came and went several times before she finally settled. Um, And so her English is, is by comparison, you know, relatively perfect. But there's a a musicality and a... um, an intonation and a phrasing that comes with other languages. And that I've, I, I am absolutely in love with, that, that yeah. concept of the way people uh, put words together because of where they come from. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just find wonderful. And so this, this book, The Speed of Light, that's coming out soon, I, I played this English with a Spanish accent voice. But I'm being employed a lot more now to do books based in Spain, where one of the characters might be Spanish or, um, you know, the the love interest might have a Spanish accent or whatever, that yeah. sort of thing. I'm I'm sort of developing this um, niche, I suppose, or niche for, yeah. uh, <laughs> as they say, uh, yeah. for this for this accented English, uh, which is wonderful. And I think I, I really enjoy um, books that have characters who have backstories, you know, yeah. people who people have complicated lives. You know, when you get to know people, they have stuff going on, you know, and I, I yeah. like books that don't pretend otherwise. Do you find yourself as a as a narrator, as a performer or an artist, you could say, um, do you find yourself getting into those books that you can really relate with the character? Do you find ways to to sort of create this connection with the character when narrating? I think I think good casting is where it's at. Mm. Uh, that matchmaking, as I spoke of earlier, is mm. is key. And the reason I narrate some books well is because it feels like the character is me. You know, I'm like, how did the author know that this is what I, you know, this is what I would do in this situation? And those ones are easier. It makes the acting easier, doesn't it? You know, if you can if you can resonate, if you can uh, understand why the character would do that. But uh, but there are also books where I'll come to the end of the chapter. It says, you know, and then she turned away. And I'll go, sorry, she did what? You know, you, you sort of find yourself going, I can narrate it, but I can't believe this just happened, you know? Um, and I find that a lot. I, I should do some outtakes, shouldn't I? The stuff I say yeah. afterwards as the chapter finishes, because it's astounding. I mean, you prep the book, but when you're in the moment, I often forget, yeah. you know, that the baddie doesn't die or that, uh, you know, and you get caught up in the moment, don't you? Despite yeah. the fact that you've read the book ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes it's it's very exciting or very emotive. Um yeah. And so it's it's yes, the the connection is um, I usually find that the reason I've been cast in the book is because somehow there's something in that book that speaks to me. Uh, And if there isn't, that's what I need to find. I think that's the key, isn't it? It's finding that thing. Even if it's a nonfiction book, it's discovering why the author feels so desperately passionate about this particular thing, even if it is remote facilitation on Zoom meetings, you know, uh, which doesn't sound particularly exciting, but actually can be fascinating, apparently. Um, So, yeah, I think that connection is is really important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I I think so. And I think it's just, again, it adds to the enjoyment, really. Um, Or just, you know, uh, for myself, it's uh, just sort of make it a lot more kind of interesting, really. Um, 
I think I'm going to um, end on this uh, question, if that's okay. When going through, because obviously you're performing, you're narrating so many books, you know, throughout as the years go on, you sort of can pick up traits of how stories are written, how stories kind of unfold themselves. As a as a reader, as a fan of story, has narrating so many books helped with the love, or has it kind of ruined it for you? Because I've heard both answers on this show before. Prepping for me is the big deal. So yeah. prepping the book actually takes me longer than it seems to take other people. And it's mostly because I need to believe it. I need to yeah. understand what the character's going through or why they would do what they do. And I've only mm. had one or two books that I've gone, she just wouldn't do that. You know, <laughs> why Why would she go down that road or why would she make that choice? And yeah. I haven't understood why mm. it is. Um, mostly, I can I can really see where it's going and what I do love is the books where I think I know where it's going and it doesn't and yeah, not because the yeah. character wouldn't do that but because I didn't see something coming those are the mm. really good books it's like movies isn't it it's that yeah. moment where you think you definitely know who the baddie is um, and then it's like oh no <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah. I think my my it, it again it's always about good writing isn't it if I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to pick and choose the the, the books I get to narrate mm. and I get good books and the good books have a great arc with really rounded characters who do as they're supposed to, you know, yeah. um, and I'm I'm really big on a happy ever after. You know, I need a happy ending. I'm a real Disney yeah, girl. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't bear <laughs> it. If I've had done a couple of books where, you know, the, the, the woman dies at the end and you're like, I'm sorry, she what? You know, <laughs> you can't leave me like this. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate it's much more realistic and much more lifelike, but no, but yeah. well, I don't read books to, to just do the same as I do in life. So yeah. uh, I need to I need to escape. I need to be taken away into a world that is different to mine and yet relatable, um, yeah. which is is part of the, the storytelling, isn't it? And getting yeah. to share that with the listeners is just wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And to be able to work and, you know, make a living from creating that escapism for somebody is, is, is a true you know privilege. We were lucky enough to have um, at the start of when we first started this podcast, we um, interviewed Cara Hunter, the best selling Penguin author, um, who's, you know, amazing crime thriller mystery um, author out there and just all around brilliant person. But it was really fascinating to hear her um, sort of describe her process of how to create that. You know, you've got this murderer who's, a you know, who's one of, you know, you've got the set of 10, 12 characters in there and one of them's the murderer. You know that one of them's the murderer. But then having to keep in mind that, you know, as a reader, readers going to be saying, well, it can't be that person because that's too obvious. So it's going to be this person because they're going to be the least obvious choice. And then it can't be. And then to realize, you know, that they have to take into all all these things into a consideration to make a satisfying yet realistic. But um, there's also so much that doesn't sometimes translate. I did a book uh, some time ago that was um, the baddie had a Scottish accent, but so did the best friend. And they were the yeah. only two people in the book who had accents or who were described as having accents. And I think yeah. the concept was that you never quite knew who it was who was doing the thing. And it would say, you know, a Scottish accent called them and said so-and-so on the telephone or whatever. And yeah. you weren't sure if it was the cousin or the baddie. And, of course, yeah. having to... And, and words like um, an unintelligible voice came over the line. You're like, unintelligible such that I can't see these words because what does that really mean? You know, And yeah. in, in audio, there are so many things sometimes that don't quite... Um, that don't quite allow for the listener to have that imagination. You know, when you're reading the book, mm -hmm. you're kind of carrying all this suspense of disbelief with you until it gets resolved. As a listener, 
you're, there's almost more information there. And you have to be careful, I think, as a narrator, not to discredit the listener. You know, they have yeah. to be given something to do. You know, you mustn't yeah. uh, act too much. Otherwise, there's nothing left for them to interpret. Um, and that's that's a fine line as well, isn't it? Yeah, to, to, it is. to walk. It is. That's a really great point. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's a, all a balancing act, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you so much once again for joining us on the show and for setting out this time. I know you're a very busy person, so I really do appreciate it. All the relevant links to social media accounts or websites, etc. And I'll also put the schedule for the um, clubhouse things or everything that's going on in the week. So I really do think they're, they're great. Um, they can all be found in the show notes for this podcast. Um, so that just about does it for this week's episode. Another huge thank you to Anna. It's been a thrill to talk to you. Uh, and as always, to you, the listener, for making us a part of your day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Audiobook Club. This episode was sponsored by Pro Audio Voices. If you have a story you want to bring to life, head over to ProAudioVoices.com to get in touch with industry professionals that can take care of every step of production, as well as offer support and guidance with marketing, growing your brand, and boosting your sales. Once again, that's ProAudioVoices.com. Thanks for listening.